we have wanted to just show young women how they are, they have this divinity in them and that they can look up to a heavenly mother and that they have the potential to become like God and what that means to them. If you're thinking about role models, right? We're talking about all these women mm -hmm. from the Bible and Book of Mormon church history are worthy to emulate, but they're all still human, right? They're right. all still got their own foibles and things. And so if you're looking for the ultimate female role model, you're not looking to women for the scriptures. Those are characteristics or events that you can model simply like we model all people from the scriptures. But if you're looking for the ultimate perfect female role model, Heavenly right. Mother. Never ever before in the history of the cultural hall have I ever been booed. And it happens in this episode. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And do I deserve it? Probably. You could be the judge of that. I think you're probably going to say, yeah, I do deserve to be booed, but listen for it. It happens in this episode. Don't forget, if you're listening to this in 2020, you have until the 31st at midnight to get in on the $3 Patreon level of the Cultural Hall. You can become a Patreon saint for just $3 before the end of the year slash month. After that, it'll just be that $5 and $10 available. I may do one in the middle. I haven't decided yet. I might get crazy, but I can tell you that the $3 one will go away. Had lots of great people join the Patreon saints because of that, so... Go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. You'll hear me mention it again. This is updated information. This interview was a while back. How do I know? Well, because I was there and it was a while back. But also, uh, there is the Boy's Guide to Heavenly Mother now available. You can find a link for that in the show notes as well as some of the other links. We take the notes for you and timestamps. You can go to the different parts and different questions that maybe you want to get answered. This might be a resource for you. Check out this episode of the cultural hall. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. Hang on tight. Here's the deal. We're talking about A Girl's Guide to Heavenly Mother, and I have to tell you, in just the few minutes that I've already had to visit with these folks before we got them here on the Cultural Hall, it's going to be a great episode. I'm talking with MacArthur Krishna and Bethany Brady Spaulding. I just have to ask you each first, are there meanings to your name? We'll start with you, Bethany. Brady is maybe a, an odd name for, for a, a woman to have as her middle name, or is that your maiden name? Oh, great question. So there's a lot in a name, and Brady was my maiden name. Okay. But when I got married, I got married in my um, mid-30s, and my husband was more progressive and more of a feminist than I was. Okay. And so I kept my name, and he changed his name. He took Brady as his middle name. Interesting. Uh, because he, he felt like we wanted a shared name, sure. but he felt like it wasn't fair for just the woman to change her name for a shared name. He felt compelled to change his name to have a shared name. So um, we actually ended up all taking Brady as our middle name. So okay. my husband, myself, and all of our three daughters have Brady as our middle name and then Spalding as a last name. So it was it was our attempt to each change or each be willing to change to embrace a new shared family identity. That's interesting because there were a couple of things that you said there that I was like, I don't know where this story is going. When you said we all took the middle name, I was like, how many all are there? And then you indicated it's your daughter. So I'm like, oh, thank you. Please bless that. That's the way that is. Um, but but I've, but I've never I don't know that I've ever heard that. Yeah. Can great. we he's, tell the story he's... about your grandmother? Because that's a great story. Which one? I'm going to tell the story and then you might have to edit this out if Bethany's grandma doesn't, you know, if Bethany doesn't want to lie about her grandma. Okay. okay. So Bethany's grandma meets Andy, her husband, and says, did you know he was the one when he had the middle name Brady too? <laughs> when his name was Brady, did you know? Yeah. <laughs> 
Do you know what it wasn't? It wasn't the, my grandma, but it was the temple worker when we got sealed. Oh, so oh. We had, we, yeah, we're not even related to that woman. Oh, darn, we, we had we had a civil wedding. We got married up in the mountains of Idaho in a red dress and this, this really spectacular mountains in the Sawtooth. Uh, sorry, wedding in the Sawtooth. But um, then we had a temple sealing a while later. And um, when the temple worker was looking at his name, she was like, how did you find a man with your same <laughs> middle name? It's incredible. And <laughs> when I tried to explain to her, the sweet, bountiful temple worker that he had changed his name, she, she couldn't. It, it, yeah. it, it does couldn't, not compute. Sense. Does not no, compute. It didn't. Nope. It didn't. <laughs> nope. Interesting. But he started a trend. And actually, a lot of our friends followed his example. And a lot of um, my friends married men who took their name, too. Oh. Huh. It's an interesting thing uh, to to note that it takes just maybe one person to speak out on something and then others have that example to follow. Maybe something that will be a theme throughout this episode. MacArthur, let me ask you, MacArthur Krishna, that that's an interesting, yes. I haven't met a lot of Sister Krishnas. <laughs> okay, and I'm telling you, it was a near miss. Okay. It could have ended up to be Sister Junjunwala. How's that for a mouthful? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So my husband um, is from India. Okay. And in India, as soon as you say your name, you can pigeonhole the person. You what? know where they're from. You know what caste they are. You know what their job was or recently used to be. Okay. So similar to like in the West where someone says Mason, Carpenter, okay. Smith, sure. like those names had jobs, right? Mm -hmm. So my husband's family name is Junjunwala. And when he was born, his parents decided they hated this idea that as soon as you said something that you were immediately pigeonholed. Mm -hmm. And so they decided to give my husband his father's first name. And so when my husband is introduced places in India, it makes absolutely no sense. Like someone stops, pauses, they wrinkle their face. They're like, no, 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 no. Because like they just understand that there's no there's no hole to put my husband in, yeah. which fits his personality perfectly, frankly. Yeah. But that's how I ended up to be a sister Krishna instead of a sister Junjunwala. Yeah. Let me ask you, what, what took you to India? Obviously a plane, but I'm looking more specific like life that said, hey, India is God. the way for you to go. Okay. God. Okay. Tell me more. I got to so, know more about that. Yeah. So the first time I went to India was um, an ex-boyfriend, not okay. my husband. Didn't work and out? I had that kind of thing? I'm sorry. One of those situations where it didn't work out. You followed a guy and you were like, this is going to be great. And then it didn't work out. <laughs> Um, almost, okay. you know, as we say in Hindi, actually lug bug, which is my favorite Hindi word. And it means approximate. So lug bug. Okay. But I went to India and I fell in love with India and I fell in love with the energy and the, like the feckinness of it. That's not a real word, but yeah. the feckin ground, right? Like if anything could happen, it, anything often does happen. Yeah. And just this sensibility that India gives you this soul scrubbing, because as soon as you think you've got it. India just throws something at you to make it abundantly clear you got nothing. Yeah. And it's kind of fun to be in a frame of mind that you got nothing because that actually, I think, is closer to the state of the universe than how we like to perceive things. Uh -huh. And so I started going to India first because I had this spiritual experience that India was going to be important in my life. And then I started going back once a year because I worked at a job that I got a free airline ticket anywhere in the world once a year. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went to India once a year for about 10 years. And every time I went there, I literally felt that my soul was just being like, creak, 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 creak. I mean, just scrubbed out. And it was powerful and amazing and humbling and all these amazing things, right? Yeah. And my friends started asking me whether or not I was going to marry an Indian. Mm -hmm. 
And I only cuss about once every six months. And my answer to that question was, beep, no. Mm. So I was not going to do that. How come? Which my husband loves, obviously, this part of the story. Yeah, how come? Just the just the uh, cross cultures wow. or like? <laughs> um, no, because I, I actually appreciate cross-cultural learning. Okay. And I probably, I mean, I grew up in West Virginia, which means kind of I was going to be cross-cultural learning no matter where I married. Right, because right? if people so, speak English, that's cross-cultural if you're from West Virginia. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying, man. Boom. Right? Hey, when you come to West Virginia, get your passport at the yeah. border, son. Yeah. <laughs> so I realized that India was not going to work for me because it's, let me think about this for a few minutes. Like, And again, I told you I'm in love with India, mm-hmm. so I could give you the list of things I love, too. Uh-huh. But it's very, very hierarchical, okay. insanely hierarchical. That doesn't work with me. Okay. Right. Like I'm very, we're all children of God. Right. It is extremely chauvinistic. So um, India has one of the highest rates of female suicide in the world. Ugh. Like Indian women know it's a really lame place to be living. Mm. Right. And to, to really be thought of sincerely as a second class citizen, yeah. second class human, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Doesn't really work for me. And probably the clincher culturally is that the husband's loyalty goes to his mother instead of to his wife. Okay. So I can yeah. see I can see why you would not want to have anything to do with any of those things. But you but <laughs> you set of things. But but you found the black sheep of India and married him. Oh my gosh. My husband's such a maverick, he's insane. Like he is um he is completely his own human. Mm. I have never met a, a another human being who is as comfortably themselves in their own skin doing their own thing maverick style as as my husband cool so so cool i yeah it's an interesting thing a place i've never been uh one that i've certainly wanted to travel to but you know maybe i'll take a minute since this since you you should come on over we'll show you a good time all right but you're not allowed to be there now i think that's sort of an interesting just quick aside uh you were living in india but because of this whole pandemic thing they said no thank you united states person we don't want you, which is what most countries feel about us right now. Uh, yeah. So you're just hanging out, waiting for the the green light to go back in, or are you kind of staying where you're at? Let's leave it at that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I will ask this follow-up question, too. You said that there was sort of a spiritual experience that initially led you towards India. It's the cultural hall. If you want to talk about it, I'd love to hear about that. So I actually had two very important spiritual experiences, one more subtle than the other, um, but both formative. Mm -hmm. So the first one was knowing that India was going to be formative in my life, a very strong feeling. And I associated that feeling with the guy I was dating at the time. And Mm -hmm. then it didn't quote unquote work out or it worked out perfectly, Mm -hmm. depending on, you know, which stage you're at. And then I thought, wait a second, like, I don't have to depend on him to have India be an important part of my life. Like it is, this can, this can carry on. And so I spent, like I said, about once a year for 10 years going over doing business lectures, doing humanitarian aid just soaking up design and color inspiration and getting like soul scrubbing happening. And then when I met my husband and went through that very intense process, I had the most profound answer to prayer I've ever had that said, this is your person. And, and the first experience rattled me around because, because I thought I understood what the plan was. Sure. And when that plan wasn't coming forward, then I was confused. One of those moments um, where you go, hey, God, uh, I thought we talked about this. But the plan <laughs> was, and he's like, right. <laughs> oh, you thought that was the plan. That's so cute. 
That's so it's cute. It's so cute, right? Exactly. So funnily enough, like I clearly have issues with, with following plans, right? Because yeah. then we're back around for the second time. And I had been like, no, of course I'm not going to marry into this. And there's so many things beyond those cultural things that didn't seem to fit a plan, mm -hmm. you know, for a person who'd been raised on the BYU fight song and, you know, pioneer stock and sure. et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, um, in and the culture hall, basically, yeah, right. Yeah. In the culture hall, basically. That's basically birds in a cultural hall. Right. Yeah. Well. And so like to, Oh, in fact, I was actually one of the people who rode the parade when we did a Mormon parade in my hometown of West Virginia. This is not like 24th of July down like, you know, Salt Lake City streets. This or you know, Ogden, where my mother's from. Uh -huh. This is like West Virginia, which doesn't I, really. I had no idea they had a Mormon parade in West Virginia. Learn something new yeah. every day. They don't. <laughs> but I got to be in the parade to represent the Mormon faith and like literally be like the poster child of Mormonism. Oh, cool. Very oh, cool. Oh, yes. That is me. Yeah. So poster child. Nice. So when this came around and I had this amazing spiritual experience, this like profound, literally, I mean, I don't know how your answers to prayer work. Most of mine have been a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling or something that seems to kind of roll out in front of you. Things seem to go, you know, lock into place when a job is that's supposed to be your job you take or something like that. Um, or even just kind of like, I think I'm going to go this way. Stop me if not. Yeah. He, right. Yeah. Um, this was not those. This was like, knock you to your knees. You are in the presence of deity. Get humble yeah. and be ready for this plan. Huh. Right. Mm. And I think it needed to come because it's a wild ride. And so when, when you have a wild ride about to be your life, then, then you need to know you're on God's path. Yeah. And as we know from Elder Ballard, our heavenly parents designed an earth path for us. Mm. And so having the guts to find that path and stay on that path kind of is like a life's work, right? Yeah. So India has obviously been a significant component of my path. It's cool to know that uh, where you guys each come from. Because I want to take a break for a quick second, and I want to find out how it is that uh, Bethany from Virginia meets MacArthur from India by way of Portland, by way of whatever, <laughs> and then you guys put a book together. We're going to come back in the second block of the Cultural Hall and find all about it. LDSbookstore.com is the website you need to go to. I was just actually searching this because I was thinking one of these the other day. I've got a friend who every time I see her, she tells me how so excited that she is until her son comes home from his mission. I think he's in uh, somewhere warm. That's all I can't remember. An island. Uh, better story if I could remember. Anyway, I always ask her, well, do you know how many days it is? And she says, oh, no, but it's not soon enough. And I said, you know, they sell countdown things. You know, the papers where you put the stickers on and they have cool like pictures of temples or different other things that are thematic and can help you know exactly how many days. And she said, where would I get such a thing? And I told her, true story, LDSbookstore.com. You can get those at LDSbookstore.com. You need a Christus necklace, you need scripture holders or scriptures, you need a book, a picture of the temple, you need something LDS themed. Your one-stop shop is LDSbookstore.com. Hurry, make your orders. D Click buy. It's in your cart. Just buy it. LDSbookstore.com. 
Ho, ho, ho. This is Danta Claus from PC Laptops in Salt Lake City. Would you like to save huge, massive money this holiday season? Don't throw out that old computer. We can transform that old, slow, or broken down desktop or laptop into fluffy, high-speed goodness, no matter what brand it is. Just bring your desktop or laptop computer in for a free diagnostic. The diagnostic is 100% free, and there's no obligation. We're so great at making computers faster that if we can't fix or upgrade your desktop or laptop, we'll buy it from you. Have I lost my mind? Want to trade in your old computer? We have brand new lifetime warranty desktop computers from $7.99 and we'll buy your old computer. To make it impossible to resist, we're doing 12 months special financing on any PC laptops, desktop or laptop computer. Have I lost my mind? Call us at 1-877-596-7283 for details or check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com where we love you. Time for the second block of the Cultural Hall. If you love this episode, you love all this stuff that we do, you follow us on Twitter or Instagram or on Facebook where we share all the news articles, please consider being a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. Now, you can go to patreon.com slash the Cultural Hall, and for as little as $3 a month, it allows us to be able to have things like Zoom calls where I can talk to people all over the world and be able to make that content. It also helps us pay for things like electricity and microphones and insulin. Does that is that guilty enough for everyone? <laughs> go ahead and go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall and, uh, and do that. And don't forget that if you become a Patreon saint, you get to be a part of the secret but not sacred Facebook group where all the Patreon saints hang out. Uh, MacArthur and Bethany. Uh, I'm going to go to you, Bethany, because we just heard a little bit from MacArthur. How is it that you uh, got together with MacArthur and you're writing a book about Heavenly Mother? We'll get into the book, but I want to know how it came that you guys got together. Okay, I'll do a quick overview. MacArthur and I really met at DuPont Circle in Washington, D.C. Okay. We were both um, young professionals working in the social sector, like trying to uh, make change, stir things up in the world. And um, we were also both working with our young women groups in different inner city wards and um, working with girls who were facing like extreme challenges in their life, um, recognize the, the need for role models for these young women, um, something to aspire to, something to lift their sights on what like a meaningful life looked like for them. Um, then fast forward a little bit, my family and I actually moved to India. Um, my husband was on a Fulbright teaching at the University of Mumbai, and I was working for an organization called Ashoka that invests in social entrepreneurs um, who had uh, new innovative ideas for solving social problems. And um, I was actually, so we were living in Mumbai, and um, I was reading some scripture stories to my young daughter, who, whose name's Simone. She was not even three years old. And at the end of the book, she closes it, she looks up at me, and she said, Mom, where were the stories of the girls? Wow, and, uh, at three years old. Is this made up for the premise of this book? This is, this real? is not made up. This okay. is the real deal. There's, there's, no, Simone. there's yeah. no line in the cultural hall. That's okay. what I was always talking about. I mean, I mean that, that is the rule. I just wanted, I just wanted to double up, make sure. That's right. You can lie other places, but not yeah. in the cultural hall. Yeah. In the foyer, no. sure. People lie all sure. the time in the foyer. <laughs> in the bathrooms, maybe, yeah. but not, yeah. the, not the cultural hall. You could even maybe get away with the back of the chapel, but not the culture. I, I, see, I was going to say bishop's office, but I didn't want to. You know, <laughs> I'm teasing. No. I'm kidding, everyone. Calm no, down. We're this, just having a good time. This is a legit story. It was my little sweet Simone who, who even at that young age could see that she wasn't represented in this book. And mm -hmm. she wanted to be. She clearly, like, there was no girl front and center making decisions, making choices, making things happen. And and she wanted a book like that. So um, actually really, ins I, so I just went searching to find a book for her and was surprised that there weren't 
there wasn't anything written for young girls about women in the scriptures. And, um, you know, not, none at all. Not like not like the, these are the women of the Book of Mormon or like Ruth. No, How about no, Team Ruth, everybody? Nothing no, like that. There were there were lots of things written for adult women. Like there oh. were, you know, the articles and texts and books and manuscripts, but geared towards children. There was nothing that highlighted and celebrated Women from even from the Bible, the Book of Mormon, Church History, nothing. Wow. Um, and we had even from minded, like Methodists, Lutherans, Catholics, right, like right. nothing. Hmm. Any faith tradition. And, you know, we have such this rich legacy of fiery, faithful, fabulous women. And, you know, I could rant and rave and complain about this was not in existence. But I was actually really inspired by these social entrepreneurs I was working with in India. And, you know, if, if something was missing, they didn't complain. They got creative mm-hmm. and they made something to fill a gap and fill a need. And so um, I felt like, well, if these books don't exist and Simone wants it, let's get busy and let's make some. Mm-hmm. So I was I was kind of working in social change. Um, MacArthur, a wonderful friend, was a great storyteller and uses used story to create change. And so I reached out to her and I just said, let's do this together. Let's let's collaborate on this endeavor and let's make children's books. And MacArthur's and, like, not interested, next. <laughs> Please, please, what social change? Oh, forget it. I'm so bored. Social it's change. It's a three-year-old. What three-year-old has a good idea? Come on. She did not say oh. that. You guys are fabulous. So she came to visit. There was the first TED TED conference in India. She came to visit us, and we just sat down and started getting creative. And we thought about, you know, what's what's a what's a thread that we could use to tie all these stories together. And it was choice. We recognized, you know, we wanted girls to see that they could be agents. Mm. They weren't, things weren't chosen for them. They could choose. They could be actors and agents in their stories and, and modeling after and Mother choice Eve. choice is key to our yes. entire temporal existence, the sure. plan yes. of salvation, et cetera. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, really starting writing about Eve and this heroic choice she made to leave luxury and paradisical beauty and refinement to a life of like India, like of frustration, <laughs> difficulty, and pain, yeah. disappointment, and sure. craziness, and chaos, right? But um, so we started writing about women. Um, we did a series, Girls Who Choose God, from the Bible, from the Book of Mormon, from church history. We wrote a book about families. and um, But all of this, even from the very, very beginning, MacArthur and I, our goal was to get our readers comfortable with strong, faithful women and to to introduce them to Heavenly Mother, to this idea of so, that we need so, to build our spiritual muscles. I yes. want to make sure that I understand what you just said correctly. From the beginning, the thought would be that ultimately there would be this book about Heavenly Mother. That's what you guys, although didn't go there automatically, you were like, hey, you know what? If we jump here, people are going to go, hang on. It was other stories of other women and then build up to it. Right. Absolutely. Well, the thing is, is that if you're thinking about role models, right, we're talking about all these women mm-hmm. from the Bible and Book of Mormon church history are worthy to emulate, but they're all still human, right? They're right. all still got their own foibles and things. And so if you're looking for the ultimate female role model, you're not looking to women for the scriptures. Those are characteristics or events that you can model simply like we model all people from the scriptures. But if you're looking for the ultimate perfect female role model, it's Heavenly clear. Mother. Yeah. Right. Right. And we and one of my favorite parts of Mormon theology is this idea that God is Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother together. That's what God is. And so, you know, we wrote three volumes of Girls Who Choose God, and we never, ever gave God a pronoun. Hmm. We, we wrote it in such a way that God could be used as a term for our heavenly parents. From the very beginning, we were incredibly intentional about that. It was, it was challenging to do, but we did it. 
And um, because, and that's, that is what we've done in this next volume of girls who, a girl's guide to heavenly mother is that we have wanted to just show young women how they are, they have this divinity in them and that they can look up to a heavenly mother and that they have the potential to become like God and what that means to them. A, a couple of things come to my mind as you talk. Uh, one, that uh, I don't know that when whenever I've considered God that I think God is heavenly father and heavenly mother. Like I've certainly considered heavenly mother. I'm not, you know, we're not starting this interview and I'm going, what? Heavenly mother? Or what are you, you know, like I'm I'm familiar enough with that. But I guess, you know, being completely vulnerable and throwing it out there, when I've thought of God, I guess I've always thought and assigned him to be Heavenly Father as opposed to God is this unit of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. That's one thing that sort of comes to mind as I hear you speaking. And then the other thing, which has sort of become a little bit buzzy recently, but I think uh, totally appropriate and powerful and why it gets used so much is the idea that you can't be what you can't see. And so, yeah. so much of, uh, of what you're saying for women makes this imperative. Absolutely. And exactly. my to that is like one of the first quotes that we use from our book throughout the girl's guide, we it's anchored in quotes from apostles, prophets, and female church leaders. It's really grounded in our theology. And, but we start with a quote from elder Erastus snow that says deity consists of man and woman. There can be no God except he is composed of the man and woman united. And there is not in all the eternities that exist or ever will be a God in any other way. Hmm. So like that, like that is God, like, you know, heavenly father and heavenly mother together. Like it, it's, it's almost, I think of like God is almost like a last name. Yeah. You know, like um, it, it's, it's the couple, it's the partnership that's God. And also as you were and talking it's about, also in the Bible. Yes. So Erastus Snow has this quote, but they also, when they use the term God in the Bible, Elohim is actually a plural term. So it talks about in Genesis that we're made in their image, actually, sure. right? And so when you look at the ways that that's used, it all of a sudden becomes clear why eternal families matter. Like, why does this actually matter, right? Why do we care so much about families? We care about families because if you don't have a partnership that's working their tail off to try to make it work, you're not going to achieve a celestial union, yeah. right? And why does the celestial union matter? Well, it matters because that's how you become most divine, yeah. which is why you get out of bed and yeah. you try again, yeah. right? I will say uh, this in my, maybe I, I feel like I need to defend a little bit. I love it. I just have never considered the idea of, <laughs> you know, that, that God being like a last name. They wanted it to be Krishna, but they felt like that was too identifying. <laughs> so they went with right? the, I'm teasing. Guess what? Uh, <laughs> Krishna is the name of an Indian God. Well, listen, you think I don't know this? You think I don't know this? Uh, it's awesome. But, You're right. See, this is all about names. And do you know what? When um, you said, Richie, about that this, this idea of you can't be what you can't see. Um, mm -hmm. I loved, not that we want to dive into politics. We'll still clear in the culture hall because we are in the culture hall, right? Sure. And we're neutral. But I was really smitten by what Joe Biden said when he introduced Kamala Harris. And he said, you know, he hoped that little black and little brown girls would wake up that morning mm -hmm. and recognize that they were made of the stuff of presidents and vice presidents you know, that they were made of that stuff, that they could look up and see that. And I was struck by that. That's really what we're trying to do with our book, that, you know, girls look up and they see that they're made of the stuff, not of presidents and vice presidents, but sure. of divinity, sure. right? They're, they're sure. made out of divinity, that they're, they're goddesses in the making. And that's, that's the power of it. it's a really book. big deal that impacts all sorts of things. Right. So for example, there's a quote in our book, 
um, by Professor Mike Goodman from UAU that says, your destiny is not counselorhood, but godhood. Mm. And for women to understand that about themselves and for men to understand that about women would actually rejigger our interactions mm -hmm. in the culture hall and everywhere else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they released a study recently about, and it was the study I read was at BYU, but it also, they said it had been replicated at many other campuses mm -hmm. where women didn't feel free to speak until they were the majority in a group. Sure. So there's a groups of five and sure. until you had four out of five. We talked women. to Susan Madsen. I know the research. We did a whole episode about it, MacArthur. I missed it. Well, missed wel welcome to the cultural hall. Thank you. I can't really need to catch up. <laughs> right? Yes. And so think about this. If a woman thought to myself, I'm not being a counselor here. Mm -hmm. I'm on par here. I What I have to say, what I have to offer, what I have to think is of value because I'm a goddess in the making, just like the people around me are gods and goddesses in the making. That would change things. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting thing within our faith, though, and I want to pick up a couple of things that I feel like stand in the way of a book like this. First of all, it, there isn't a lot. You guys, obviously, within the pages of your book, have gathered those things, but we don't hear a reference of a female deity. Mm. I'm just, yes. sa I'm just saying. <laughs> yes. Or, 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 may, or maybe, or maybe it is just the culture that we don't look at it through the lens of hey, they're talking about a man and a woman. So I feel like that has working against you. I'm just pointing out things that I think that the the average listener would would, would respond to this. So do you, want to, do you want us to answer these things not, one not at a yet, time or do you want yet, to go for it? Not yet. I okay. want to go for the other one. This, the second thing is, for whatever reason, some sort of stigma, and I feel like this is breaking down, when people say, hey, Heavenly Mother, there is a certain group within the church that goes, all right, where is where is the exit here? Where do we? Okay, what, there's I, four doors I, out of the yeah, cultural yeah. hall. Yeah. I got I got trapped in, and I don't know how to do this. And and then I don't know. I don't know where else I was going. But those are the two things that I know for me already in the conversation that we've had. You guys have been able to enlighten me, but not everyone I feel like is searching this. They should a greater understanding. Intelligence is you know what we're in this life for, but not everyone sees it that way. So. How how do you break past you know, how do you break past those things I guess why, why don't you do number one MacArthur I'll do number I would, two Ooh. I was like well, number one is Joseph Smith taught us that to understand the correct nature of God was integral okay so if you are not understanding the nature of God Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother sure then you're missing a huge component and you're missing that whether you're male or female of right. course right like Heavenly Mother is not just a doctrine for women yeah 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 right right. So first, like, but especially if you're a woman, then you're not understanding your divine destiny if you don't understand more about Heavenly Mother. Yeah. So one, but there's so much out there. So, okay, ready? We wrote The Girls Who Choose God on Women in the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. You wanted to talk about not having a lot of material to work with? Sure. Like, hmm. So. I mean, we there's Soraya there, and, uh, and, <laughs> and Abish. Abish? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, the mother of the stripling warriors. Exactly. Uh, and here's the thing is when we wrote that book, we were completely scripturally accurate. Mm -hmm. We did not make stuff up. We did not extrapolate. We did not give people fake names. Right. 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 right but right. if you can get a book out of those stories, you can definitely get started on Heavenly Mother. So Heavenly Mother actually has oodles of stuff about her. There's this article. So first of all, the church has a website 
um, of gospel topic essays. So if you go to LDS.org and you type in um, um, Heavenly Mother, mm -hmm. it pops up an essay. And there's some key points there. They're important. They also cite a BYU Studies article that's the most frequently downloaded article called A Mother There sure. by Paulson and Polito. In that article, they have 600 times Heavenly Mother was mentioned in our church history. Yeah. And that's not even okay. exhaustive. It's not even extensive. It, it, was, it was a decade old and it, they, they always claim that wasn't even everything, but, but 600 right. references from apostles, prophets, and church leaders. Like that's, that's a tremendous- And other people. I mean, there was other people involved in there too, but lots, lots and lots of information. Mm -hmm. Then you go into modern day. So if you go again to the church's website and you type in heavenly mother or heavenly parents and every single general conference talk that ever mentions her pops up, mm -hmm. there's so much information. So I think we have this like perpetuating myth right. that keeps being like, we don't know anything. We don't know anything. What's there to know? We don't know anything because we don't have a whole canon on her. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is if you want to read, if you want to research, it's there. There's actually a website now called Seeking Heavenly Mother uh -huh. that we found when we were in the process of this. And because like we spent a year researching and trying to dig out all this stuff. So we just decided to lump it into this place. So we teamed up with these great women from BYU mm -hmm. and they have a resource section. And if you only want to study what the prophets have said, you can go to that. If you want to know what scholars have said, if you want to know Heavenly Mother, is she in the Book of Mormon? What do we know about that? It's there. So there's all sorts of ways that you can read if someone wants to dig in at what what source you feel comfortable digging into. So but the fact that there's not enough information. So so let me ask you that. Why 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 do we perpetuate that? Because I I mean you booed and hissed me and I just was I just <laughs> felt like I was throwing out what I feel like a general attitude is about it, right? Oh we don't really talk We only about... booed and hissed you, Richie, because we felt comfortable doing that. And and I we would have been polite if you had been any other host. And I and I and I love that you feel comfortable enough to boo and hiss me. But it, I think it is a question worth asking. Do do I just go, oh, we don't know much about Heavenly Mother. Stop thinking about it and move on to something else. Is that kind of the thought exactly. behind it? Yeah. I, so historically, there was a the California seminary teacher decades ago who developed this concept of a heavenly hush. Mm. Like because Heavenly Mother was so sacred and so tender that we shouldn't speak of her. It was too, too irreverent to mention her name. And right. that was never taught by church leaders. That was a cultural norm that was spread and embraced and practiced. And mm -hmm. it was, yeah, it's just all kind of part of the cultural hall schwank, right? Like right. It's just, that's what's gone on, right? Well, well, but, then I'm sorry. I'm sorry that even tonight <laughs> in the year 2020, I perpetuated garbage. I'm sorry. No, no. But do you know what? That's why that's so much the reason behind our book is that we want to liberate people to know that these you know, the church on the church website, it says this is a cherished belief. Mm -hmm. This is a cherished, unique cherished belief. doctrine. And we, right. And if we cherish this doctrine, then what do we need to do? We can't hush. We can't we can't keep it under a bushel. We've got to celebrate it. And, you know, we we've, we're trying to change the, the concept from a heavenly hush to a heavenly hallelujah. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. let's get this out there. And what I've been telling people is that, you know, Mormons, our jam is sharing with the world the unique doctrines that we have you know we love to tell people about work for the dead that our, sure. you know, our salvation can go on beyond the grave you know 
We love to talk to people that we have additional books of scripture and more testaments of Christ. Like we love families. Yes. We love to tell people about the word of wisdom. We, all of these truths that heal and lift the human family, like Mm -hmm. that's what we do as Mormons. We spread it. We share it. We, we knock on doors. We, and we keep knocking and coming back like you did. Yeah. And again, and again. Right? Yep. Right? So, yeah. right. So let's, let's put Heavenly Mother in that camp. This is, I have met so many people of other faiths who I've shared Heavenly Mother with, who it just, it brings them to tears. It's, it's, it's so comforting. It's so satisfying. It's so good for the soul. And, and I feel, I, our hope is that um, Latter-day Saints will treat this as one of our many unique beliefs that we want to shout from the rooftops. Uh, I and want you, frankly, I, Neil A. Maxwell supports Bethany on this. Yeah. Thank you. So there's this quote by Neil A. Maxwell who talks about that revelation is given on certain topics in certain dispensations as it's needed mm-hmm. and that it will come up and be and, and it says it's left to the members of the church what they do with it. Hmm. That's a very badly paraphrased quote because obviously Maxwell was much more poetic. Yeah, than I was going to say, but, I, ne- I, I never knew <laughs> Maxwell to speak like that. Bless your heart. I know, I know. No, I could give you the exact quote if you wanted, yeah. but I'm well, telling you, this is legit. And the reason why I knew it was Maxwell or it, that it wasn't Maxwell's exact words is because I understood what you just said. Normally with Maxwell, I'm like, what? I, can someone, can we break that? I want to regroup on a couple things. One, I want to ask you guys, as you guys researched, you referenced, obviously, the reference to a, a female deity or a heavenly mother within the Bible as well. Are there other faiths who teach of a heavenly mother or a feminine deity Why, yes. in Christianity? Are, th- are there a lot? Uh, I guess I do, Yeah, I guess, I guess I don't know. But within Christianity, are there a lot or are we them Mormons with the with the weird... Theology. So, I mean, in, in, MacArthur could tell you a lot about in Hinduism. Of course, there's lots of female deities, right? Sure. In Christianity, um, you know, I think in Catholicism, Mother Mary sometimes takes on a form of deity for sure. many people. Um, but I think also there's this resurgence of scholars who are seeking this out. Uh-huh. Um, and, and MacArthur and I don't hold ourselves up as scholars. We are storytellers who who rely on research. But right. you know, I. I like to think of oh, it. Hold that, on, but Christianity yeah. is like what percentage of the world's population? Sure, sure, right. sure. I just was curious it, it, right. as you know, as, as far we, as we know, there are no other sects that believe in a heavenly mother deity. Not like Mary, yeah. who gets elevated, right. but like a deity in her own right. But it, but yeah, um, as we, Christian, but there are Christian scholars who are like Margaret Barker, who are searching these things out and mm-hmm. looking yes. at like the in in biblical text this this reference to a female god. But what I think is fascinating, you know, that Joseph Smith and the restoration, when when he first went to the Grove of Trees, you know, the Nicene Creed was that God was unknowable and without body, parts, and passions. No, God was so mysterious and unknowable. And the whole work of Joseph Smith was to to help us understand an intimate, loving, parental God, right? right? And so in that first vision, God became known and became like he knew Joseph's name and he had you know, that God and Jesus were different. They separate and they had bodies, right? And so Mm -hmm. this whole part of the restoration is making God knowable. And so to me, again, Heavenly Mother is just, again, part of that ongoing revelation. It's making God familiar and comfortable. And of course, if there's a father, there's a mother, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's just this natural, comfortable, knowable God that Joseph Smith wanted the world to have a connection with which which is interesting to sort of note when you talk about that you know maybe you thought it was like a power or an energy or didn't recognize that it would be a man like him but a, a heavenly man as he's speaking with god and and with jesus 
that that part of that was like, oh, hey, you're oh, you're a person. All right. Like that. Mm-hmm. That's something we don't consider. The other thing I was going to bring back is uh, as you were talking about the website Seeking Heavenly Mother dot com he said with a question mark Mm -hmm. uh i i love the idea as you guys were telling that story that you did like a bunch of research but then you never thought to google it and then you were like seeking heavenly mother.com oh they've got everything done for us already (laughs) ah come on okay okay okay. in our defense we did a lot of our research yeah Yes. I'm teasing. Uh, and let- a lot of our art and, and MacArthur, MacArthur guided and shepherded that website in beautiful ways and, <laughs> and and shared with them all this art. MacArthur, she wholly harassed all of these Latter-day Saint artists around the world to share with us their vision of Heavenly Mother. Because mm. in addition to all the quotes and the, you know, all of these these beautiful words, we wanted the images to evoke this connection with this magnificent um, divine being of Heavenly Mother. And we wanted it to come from from Asia and Africa, Latin America and Native America, like we wanted it to be um, expansive. And so MacArthur, we owe MacArthur for all of the beautiful art in the book. We And, and of course, the artist. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, the yeah. one that made it. Yeah, the artist too, but <laughs> MacArthur, yeah. Uh, let, let's take another break. And uh, when we come back, did we address the other one, Bethany? Did we address the other thing? Ooh, which one was she? I don't know. Was, now I can't even remember we'll what it was. To, she right. took, we'll she took on one, you took two. We'll take a break and we'll come back and do that in the third block of the cultural hall. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, don't forget there is also a Facebook group that you can join. It's called the Cultural Hall Back Row. You don't have to be a Patreon subscriber to be a part of that. That's for all you nerds that really love what we do. Maybe we mentioned a particular city that has nothing to do with the interview, but you've been there and you want to talk about it. That's what that Facebook group is all about. Search for it on Facebook. It's called The Cultural Hall Back Row. Uh, We have to admit you, we're not just going to let any willy-nilly person in there, but the secret is we let everyone in. So find that on Facebook and join the conversation there. Uh, Bethany and MacArthur, uh, I think that the other thing that I brought up was kind of the taboo nature of Heavenly Mother. Do you guys, as you talk about uh, that you've authored this with people that you've never met before, do you get get that sort of, uh, okay, ladies, from people? And what do you do? Because it's an important thing. You want to open the conversation, but you certainly have had that response. So what do you do when you get that, okay, kind of response? So honestly, I, I wanted to take on this for 30 seconds, Bethany, and then all of you. Oh, wow. um, I spoke at a conference and the feedback I got was, oh, we love her. We love her. We love her. Did you hear she talked about Heavenly Mother? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it immediately slides into like a whisper. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, so what you quote unquote, fight anything with is with truth. The truth is, is no, a prophet or apostle has ever, 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 ever told us we should not speak of her. Hmm. That is cultural hogwash that got built up (laughs) and blown around. And we all bought it. We Mm -hmm. drank Mm Kool-Aid, all of us. Mm -hmm. We've all been guilty of this, of somehow thinking that it's not appropriate. So the truth is we have never 
been told this is not appropriate. Yeah. And in fact, we followed the prophet's model. And the prophet speaks of heavenly mother and heavenly parents. And we can tell you when we're collecting a quotes from this book, dozens and dozens of people at general conference over the years have talked of heavenly mother and heavenly parents. The young women's theme now says heavenly parents in it when it mm -hmm. just got changed this last huge, fall. huge for a lot of people. Huge. I know just tears. I heard about that from both men and women going, OK, finally. Right. That representation. So the truth is, of course, we can talk about her. So even if it makes you like have a little twitch, even if someone gets a little wide eyed, mm -hmm. the truth is it's beautiful and it can help people. And if you feel in your heart, then knowing your heavenly mother loves you can help people. Why would you not speak of her? What about that, say, Bethany? Just, just, just today, I had two conversations with two women in my ward. One had given the book to uh, many of her granddaughters and her, she has many teenage granddaughters who are wrestling with COVID and quarantine and, and anxiety and depression. And she told me that this book and knowing about Heavenly Mother and knowing that there's this divine being who is all powerful and omniscient and is this incredible role model for her. She said that was the most meaningful thing for her that she has thought about and reflected on for months. Like that gave her hope in mm. this hard time. That was for a 15 year old granddaughter. Wow. That was this morning. This evening, I had a woman come by and said, um, she has a sister. She's not of her faith, um, but she has this woman. Her sister is brilliant. She has a PhD. She's a professor. And she has always wrestled with her self-worth. And she told me that this book, her, she gave her sister this book. And this book has helped her sister know her self-worth more than anything else. Wow. Right. And, and so like MacArthur said, if this, if a knowledge of embracing and celebrating and shouting out the knowledge and the reality of a heavenly mother helps women, whether they're young girls or teenagers or older women, like know their value and yeah. know their potential and know their divinity and know their equalness and their goodness, then yes, it is, it is time to disrupt everybody's discomfort and qualms and, uncertainty and follow the prophets and apostles lead and let's let's embrace it the, the times come like we we can't dance around the bush or beat around the bush or whatever we do the phrase anymore. is not dance around the bush i just want you to know <laughs> if it's bethany she's dancing yeah. i like to dance i don't right. beat out the all right. bush all right all right all right <laughs> dancing around the bush is it my imagination or are we talking about it more as we look at times in general conference in the last 10 years, it seems like I go, oh, and then certainly you mentioned the young women's theme, that there's the mention there. Are we, is it starting to occur more Absolutely. frequently? Absolutely. Yes. The reference and, and heavenly, I would say the term heavenly parents is used very, very frequently in conference, you know, in young women's, in youth gatherings, um, you know, by my bishop, by my primary president, by my young women's president, that is a term um, that is used often, right? And, and we can't fully understand heavenly parents if we don't take a deeper dive into heavenly mother, right? right, um, right. You know, we, we, we've had, you know, a good couple centuries with heavenly father. And of course, we still have much to learn and grow to, to know him and to come closer to him. But to really celebrate the doctrine of heavenly parents, we've got to catch up on heavenly mother. And that's, again, that was the purpose behind this book was to, to help young women and all people who love young women grow in that knowledge and understanding. I'm going to make it. And a it's our doctrine. Yeah. So when it's appropriate and you're talking about, I feel my heavenly parents love, that's real. 
right? And so for me, like every opportunity where it's real and doctorally accurate to put Heavenly Parents or Heavenly Mother's name in there, mm -hmm. it's a shame not to, mm -hmm. right? Like that is, that is a way to help people. It's a way to lift people. I'm going to make a sweeping generalizing statement, which people love. Uh, <laughs> it, it never it never gets a reaction like a boo and a hiss from MacArthur. Uh, but but there's a there's a certain element that we men w won't truly understand, right? Because we have deity represented in a male figure. We we as much as and I think that we can. I'm not discounting the experience that we shouldn't, but we won't. I don't know. I don't know that we'll ever truly understand what it's not what it's like to to not feel represented, to not be represented. So help us dumb men out. We're helping you out. We're writing a book for you. Yeah. So we've done the girl's guide to Heavenly Mother. Uh -huh. The boy's guide to Heavenly Mother just finished printing on Friday. Well, well. Yeah. And so Bethy and I, because we write for girls and there's some <laughs> lack of, you know, experience in there. We teamed up with we Martin both, Polito. We both also have three girls. So we're, we're pretty girl centric in our world. So right, yes, we right, had right. to, we had to ra rally somebody else to join us. So Martin Polito is one of the co-authors of a mother there article, the mm -hmm. one that's cited on the church's website, the mm -hmm. BYU studies article. And so we called Martin and said, Martin, we need like some boy flavor on this mm -hmm. and tell us why Heavenly Mother matters to you. And Martin is the most mother tongue savvy man I've met, frankly. Mm. You should have him on your show. Okay, I will. Um, um, to talk about like, what does it mean to, why does Heavenly Mother matter to you? Because he would give you a totally different perspective as far as the, the male perspective. And I think, um, so a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine recently told me that her husband doesn't get why Heavenly Mother matters. Yeah. Right? And I just laughed because I'm like, right, because you married well and your husband would never think about unrighteous dominion, right? Like yeah. there's not a chance your husband thinks that he's somehow more important than you or more spiritual than you, or he has right access to God and you have to go through him to get access to God. Like not a chance is that man ever going to say those things. So in his world, it's not really important, right? Right. But I'm telling you, a fair number of women in the world have experienced a different situation. And in fact, Nicholas Kristoff in the New York Times wrote this amazing article about how organized religion had kept women from God and made women feel as if they're not part of the, the spiritual conversation. And that has not been our um, LDS theology. And so if this is our doctrine that Heavenly Mother is a key component in spirituality and the nature of God, then it matters. Let me ask you, Bethany, what did you learn from Polito as far as how he embraced the Heavenly Mother? How he did it? Yeah. MacArthur mentioned that it was a uh, certainly not necessarily a different take, but that he was skilled in the way that he spoke about it. And coming from the male perspective, did you learn anything from how he approaches a Heavenly Mother? For Martin, and, and really, he would be great to have on your show because he'll, he'd be able to express this so much better than I could capture it for him. But he was so, he loves the idea of partnership, that mm. we can't be godly without partnership. And that yeah. was so key to him. But then also just in the way that he treats his wife, like his, uh, he treats women, how um, boys treat, uh, think of girls as they're dating and as how they're thinking and finding someone who would be an equal partner. 
um, how boys see their role in the world as parents. Um, yeah, just from definitely from a male lens was different from how MacArthur and I talked. But MacArthur actually worked more closely with Martin on the project, so she'd be she'd be. What, what did you learn? Like, That's where it was going, MacArthur. I was going to ask you as well. What did you learn from being able to work from him or hearing how he phrased things or the male yeah. lens? Yeah. So one, he phrases things beautifully. He's a beautiful thinker and writer. And so it's just nice to have his lyricism. On the second part, it was fascinating to us because for Bethy and I, we wrote the whole girl's guide about like lifting, right? Let's lift women. Let's tell them their worth. Let's hold them up. Let's celebrate. Like let's um, relieve them. Like all of these inspiring things where Martin's take for men was like, we're going to hold them accountable. Mm. Right? Like The whole book is about like men, get it together right yeah and i kept having to be like martin can we be softer here can we like can we can we make this friendlier right and so his whole deal even though he himself is not a harsh human but his whole deal was like men need to feel that they are accountable right right and this is accountable about a worshiping heavenly mother knowing there's a female deity you should be including in your worship would probably blow some men's minds right yeah yeah 100 percent and we're we're, right. hoping, we're hoping that it gets included in the young men's theme next, right? Yep. Like you know, it was included in the young women's. It should be in the young men's too. And that so we're hopeful in the next round. Yeah, that was sort of an odd takeaway, right? It's mentioned as God in the young men's and heavenly parents and the women. And I know that a lot of people are like, mm, what, what? that was a chance you could have like copy and paste there, guys. You could have just. <laughs> like, there's the one. Eve, the Eve had to choose first. Yeah, for yeah. just saying, you know. Yeah. yeah. So uh, a boy's so guy. Martin, I think, was oh, fascinating to work with because he had this very strong sense that men had this, like where Bethany, I think about like lifting women and celebrating women. He had this sense of living up to potential yeah. and having a responsibility and an onus on you of what you're doing. I mean, he talks about like we have been given the opportunity cost of earth life was nothing, right? Like we were given the, the ultimate free lunch, he calls it, of this <laughs> earth life. And so for him to say, you don't blow this, right? Yeah. And the way you don't blow it is through becoming more godlike and becoming more godlike is how you treat people. So you need to understand who women are and how they need to be treated. Yeah. And I think that's personally because Martin comes from a very strong line of women. Mm. I mean, his own mother, all the way up to um, Minerva Tyker mm. is one of his um, ancestors. And so he is, he carries this very, like this feeling of honor for his female ancestors, that's not the least bit like Namby Pamby. Right. You know, this is not like she was so sweet, yeah. right? Like she, he carries this like this fullness and this this richness about women that I haven't always seen men carry. And for people who don't know, just to pick it up, Minerva Tykert is an artist who has uh, depicted uh, very just beautiful paintings. Uh, most recently in the news that she had de uh, donated them to the church, and then the church decided to take them out. That's a story for a different time, but. <laughs> but that's who Minerva Tykert is to pick that up. Uh, you guys would obviously recommend that boys read the boys, but also the girls version and the girls read the girls as well as the boys version. Absolutely. As far as the book goes, is it, uh, I know it's, it's geared towards boys and girls. So fairly um, easy to digest. Give me some of the technical things with the book. Yeah, it's actually, so the girl's guide is more targeted towards girls. And we decided to do that. Um, you know, our girls who choose God books were not girl specific. They were for, for both, mm -hmm. right? But when we, we 
um, you know, we started writing those for young girls, like Simone was three and for a younger age group, but those over the last decade. And the way that old. I can learn from Nephi, a young boy can learn from the queen of the Lamanites. Sure. Absolutely. Right. Like right, right. So that was universal boys and girls, but there's these, these girls became teens and tweens and, um, you know, and as their bodies are changing, you know, part of one of the big reasons we wrote the book was talking about like our bodies are divine and heavenly mother's body is different from heavenly father. And mm. these procreative parts and all of these things that girls all start to have discomfort with and body issues around like this is this is beautiful this is sacred and, and so we wanted the girls guide to be specifically for girls to be able to touch on those things that were uniquely feminine sure and um, not to say that the boys couldn't read them and learn from them but sure. but the the um, perspective is definitely for women yeah right and, yeah i guess i was just kind of asking like what age? Like, am I five and I'm going to understand this? Am I 13? Am I going to understand this? I'm a little no, dim. So am I going to understand it at all? For sure. And you know what? It's been the really fun thing about our book is that um, they can be read in nursery. Oh, We've cool. also had high counselors take them around for high council talks, you know? So, yeah. so we, we feel lucky that. Though my five-year-old doesn't like to read it. She said, yeah, yeah, mama. I know you wrote this. I just want to look at the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. But it, it has a wide span of, of readership. Right. Because I think the message mm -hmm. is so powerful and so pertinent that um, it's written for a younger audience, but it's it's applicable to all tweens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, tweens, teens. But we've had women who are our age send us random emails saying, how would my life have been different yeah. if I knew this? Yeah. If I had really taken this truth into my soul, how would I have I made different choices? Yeah. And so whatever age you're in this matters absolutely right? absolutely a message for all and and uh and one that i hope people will pick up it's uh called a girl's guide to heavenly mother and also a boy's guide to heavenly mother available where people purchase books they can get it sent to their house don't go to a bookstore the pandemic will kill you wash your hands <laughs> is that fear-mongering maybe i shouldn't say that go so to if you go to the best place to get it i mean we have other online sources and they are actually are and now some in-person bookstores uh -huh. um but if you go to um d street press d um, as Shopify, in dog D as in dog. Okay. D or as in divine. Press. Maybe as in D as in divine. Yeah, maybe that's more appropriate. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll exactly. also leave a link for that in the uh, show notes Great. for this episode so people can just go and click. That way it's even awesome. even less painful, even more easy to be able to do it. You guys, we're at the point of the episode where I ask everyone who steps in three questions. I know you guys have never listened to the cultural hall, so you guys have no idea what's coming, but I appreciate that these will be new for you. Uh, the first question, we'll go uh, Bethany, then MacArthur, and then we'll go MacArthur and then Bethany, just so you know what's going oh on. Oh uh, the first question is, is, do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it, Bethany? Ooh, I am lucky. I have a great calling. I am our community service engagement coordinator. And so through the pandemic, I've helped our ward and state come up with ways to contribute in meaningful ways. We've supported foster children. We've helped deliver school meals. We've wow. helped, um, yeah, with really some really beautiful ways. Um, our ward now also I'm helping our missionaries who are quarantined and have been struggling to be like, you know, removed from people who they're here to serve. Mm -hmm. And so our missionaries are able to um, do volunteer work for about six hours a week. So cool. I'm helping them like work on farms, work in city cleanups, work in, um, so finding ways for uh, missionaries and um, members of our ward to, during the pandemic, also during the racial um, reckoning, 
how we can be a part of our community in in important healing ways. And so it's it's an awesome calling. Very. Cool. Can you tell that it didn't really take a lot of inspiration for the bishop to know like yeah. where to put you know Bethany? Who right? should we have do this? Is there I anyone? Mean, he's primary president for like five years, and so like where where should she go next? Yeah, right? I don't know. Like, uh, it's what, really fun. What about you, MacArthur? Do you have a calling? Yeah, I'm a ministering sister. Nice. Yeah. How how, how so, many how many sisters do you minister to? So, in fact, when I lived in India, uh-huh. I was in charge of ministering to every member of church that was outside of Delhi um, in the northern half of the mission. India has two missions for yeah. like, you know, five billion people or something. Yeah. yeah. And so um, five billion people later, there's two missions. And everyone who lived outside of Delhi who was a member of the church was my job to minister to, wow. whether they're male or female. So my visiting teaching route at the time stretched an analogous geography from Washington, D.C. to Denver. There you go. There you go. You know, that was my route. Let me ask you, 100% MacArthur? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Once they made cards, once you could drop something. Well, okay, I I don't know. Because the Indian postal system may or may not have always delivered my cards. Yeah. But they got dropped in the mail, right? Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I've got to tell you really, really super quick. I've got to tell you about another really cool, my ministering experience right now is that um, I am ministering to a sister in prison. Oh, wow. And so before COVID hit, on a monthly basis, I got to go to a women's prison and to um, be with this remarkable woman with a fascinating life story and who's seeing the gospel in new light and in new powerful healing um, ways. And um, it's been the coolest ministering or slash visiting teaching experience I've ever had. It's been really, really great. And now we can't, because of COVID, we can't visit, but um, having a lot of great dialogue online and um, and we're starting a prison ministry. Like my husband's um, was trained to be a prison chaplain, and, wow. and um, so yeah. So I'm a, both MacArthur and I are believers in ministry. It's yeah. it's fabulous. Mm. The real deal. Uh, MacArthur, if you could pick a calling, either one that exists or make one up, <laughs> what would you pick? Ooh, I've never been able to make up my own calling. Well, that get sounds ready. Like fun. Interior designer for the church. <laughs> <laughs> More colors in the chapel. More colors, more colors. More color palette, give me. <laughs> exactly. More I'm telling you, when you come from windows. Asia. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> There's this amazing artist uh, from Cambodia who painted one of the most fascinating images of Jesus I've ever seen. Uh-huh. The church bought it, but it was on display a few years ago at the Church History Museum. And it showed Jesus wearing, with his long, dark, crazy, curly black hair, wearing these gowns of peach and golds and pinks and um, and little kids crawling all over him. And I loved it because she said, where I come from in Cambodia, these are holy colors. Mm. So in India, the the Hindu holy color is orange. And so it's it's a much more uh rainbow effect when you when you go to interact with deity in in india i need to um, say this macarthur you didn't answer my question i know i was stalling yeah no. because i was like nope I, I, answered my... it, I answered it for her what do you mean okay <laughs> if that's what it is that's why i have a co-author <laughs> <laughs> all right then Bethany... I, okay hold on oh. if i could be like the what was the group from byu that the young ambassadors uh-huh. minus the singing like okay. you, you don't want me to sing on behalf of anybody, but minus the singing, you could just send me around to be a young ambassador or, you know, a my age ambassador. Yeah. So that'd be fine. A woman of a certain age ambassador. Perfect. That would be awesome. A grand dame. <laughs> All right, Bethany, you know the question. What's your answer? 
Wow. Well, I'm, I'm pretty jiving with my current calling. I do think it's, it's, it's a perfect fit for me, a community um, engagement coordinator. But yeah. if I could make one up, it might be the heavenly mother correlation committee member to integrate <laughs> her into all of our manuals and materials. How about that? There you go. That's why the question exists. Yeah. You're going to make it up. All right. The infuser, the infuser of correlation. Can we expand it beyond Heavenly Mother? Because, you know, that's a good thing to put in there. But how about just, okay, so Freya, just we have to pause and say this. This is this is MacArthur <laughs> trying to answer her question a second time. That's fine. No, no, Go no, ahead, no. MacArthur. Me, this is me expanding why Bethany really does need this calling. So in 2015 and 2016, in the Sharing Time Manual, out of 52 weeks, there are five stories about girls hmm. and six in 2016, which means 90% of the time our youth are hearing about faithful men. And we're not talking about just all the prophets and apostles. We're talking about like a little boy pays his tithing, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so if you want girls to be faithful, you need to show them faithful models. Yeah. And so when we're talking about infusing correlation. Tell me how you really feel, MacArthur. I know. I'm really good at that, huh? So vague. You are so vague. I, no, yes. I, no I, gen, I genuinely appreciate it. And I, and I think that's a thing that if we're, not, if we're not sensitive to it, if we're not trying to be better, to learn more, we can exist without it. I guarantee you so, that there are people that will go, I have never, never thought, thought of, of that. that. So here's the thing. I actually have no problem with someone saying, I've never thought of that. I have no problem with someone saying, oh, I didn't know, or I don't know. Right. What I have a problem with was that there's this idea that simply because something is a way implies that it should be that way. Right. We need to work under a more divine model. And a more divine model means you take these truths that we understand and you roll them into every single touch point we do. Because right. here's the problem. Here's why I'm passionate about this. I lived in India where women, as we mentioned earlier, are not treated as equals is not even on the table, right. right? So when we have manuals, policies, procedures that inadvertently exacerbate these issues, in India, it's a life or death situation. You're not allowed to find out the sex of your unborn child in India because too many people abort girls. So if we as a church who are responsible for being a truth keeper, a truth spreader, a truth missionary, then we need to get it together. And if we do the things that we've always done, there's a thing in the scriptures that's called traditions of your fathers that we're encouraged oh. to not, you know, do. All right. Last question, ladies. We could literally talk all night, but I but I can't. I got to go to sleep. You have rolls. I've got I've got rolls. Refreshments. I've refreshments. got refreshments. Listen, they're not refreshments because they actually might nourish and strengthen my body. <laughs> Our refreshments don't do that. Uh, the last question, and whoever feels like they can answer this question first, it's not a race necessarily, but it is a little bit deeper and more serious than the other two have been, although I appreciate answers on both of those. Uh, but the question is, what is your favorite part of your faith? You want to go first, MacArthur? You want me to? Sure, but I've, I'm tied for two. So one of them is I think our faith is extremely bold. It is huge. It is expansive. This idea that we as little speck humans who are frail and silly and make mistakes get to grow up to be supreme beings of the universe, mm -hmm. that is the most expansive idea I can possibly imagine. And right next to that expansiveness, which, oh, by the way, applies to everyone on earth, so race, color, gender, et cetera, right. like 
all people. Right. So that's a huge idea. Right next to that is the humility it takes to recommit yourself to that plan. Yeah. Because it's not for wimps. Do you kind of wish that you would have gone first, Bethany? Yeah, yeah. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm saying I'm, amen. That's, I'm, what, that's all I'm, I'm saying is no, amen. No, I'm teasing. I'm yeah, teasing. Right? right? No, I, I am. I'll just say amen. But yeah, I, I love the idea. I am Mormon because I believe deeply in ongoing revelation. Mm-hmm. I believe that God is bursting the veil and things are coming forth and and there's exciting things ahead. There's um, I love revelation on a global scale. I love it on a personal scale. I mean, just, just this morning, I was riding a bike with my Jewish neighbor and um, she, you know, we've become very, very close friends. And um, she said, you know what, Bethany, you've taught me, you've taught me that I can pray to God as an individual. She said, um, you know, as, as a Jewish community, we come and we pray together as a congregation and we pray in temple, we pray in the synagogues, but we don't pray to God on our bedsides. We don't pray to God in a personal level. And she said, you've taught me that God will listen to me and God will speak to me. And she's, She's making these really pivotal decisions about her life right now. And um, she's at, a, at the crux of some major, at a major crossroads. And she said, thank you for teaching me that like God hears me and knows me. And that's what I love about my faith. I, I love this personal, intimate relationship with God, who I believe is our heavenly parents. I'm grateful for their love, their grace, their forgiveness and patience with me. And I'm grateful, like MacArthur said, that, um, yeah, the knowledge that we can grow daily to become like that, it's um, to like them. It's it's exhilarating and it's um, exciting. Well, ladies, I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy <laughs> enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy <laughs> enough to listen next week. And that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.